Hi, everyone. This is Melissa from the Travel Talk podcast, where I interview expats and locals from cool and interesting places. For today's episode, we'll be talking about Rwanda with Stephen. Stephen was in Rwanda for two years during the Peace Corps. It's hard not to talk about Rwanda and not mention the genocide, but there's so much more to the country, and we'll be talking about that later today. Key things to think about are things like the silverback gorillas and even relaxing places in Rwanda like Lake Kivu. I'm really excited to share this with you. Let's get started. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Steve. Yeah, absolutely, Melissa. I'm really excited to have you here. How about you tell us which uh, country you're going to be talking about today? We're going to talk about Rwanda and then a little bit of time, potentially some more bigger parts of East Africa. That sounds great. Okay. Cool. Um, how about, tell me how you ended up in Rwanda. What happened there? Wanted to be a Peace Corps volunteer and I wanted to go to Africa. I actually got selected for Rwanda, which is perfect weather. So it worked out well. Um, how was it going there? Like you literally just landed on a plane, you're in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Did, was it fairly intuitive or did it require a lot of work and a lot of prep and just a lot of navigating some of the complexity? I think there's things that you kind of forget right out of the gate that you're accustomed to, like even just getting a cell phone, right? Buying a cell phone, getting a card, doing the plans. How much does this cost? You know, getting on the bus system. How does the bus work? For example, there you can just jump on and jump off at any point in a lot of cases. So definitely some intuitiveness. One good example is like even when cooking, right? We always have pre-cooked beans around here. So having to learn how to pre-cook beans and that if you wanted to do a meal from scratch, it would take two to three hours. You had to make the fires. So it's just, um, it was little things like that. I think when we first landed, I can still remember the first night we got there. You always kind of think of Africa as this crazy place and people running around. And as soon as we got there, it was very quiet and it was very subdued and people, and you know, the lights There weren't a lot of lights in the city and you kind of sat around and wondered like, what's going on around here? Like, where's all the action? You know, we're in the capital. It was a Saturday night. There was nothing going on. If I were to go as a tourist, um, like what should I be prioritizing? You know, if I was going to Rwanda for a week, for example. Right. So a week is a good amount of time. It's a small country. You know, you can get across the country in a bus and a bad bus in about six or seven hours uh, west to east. So, but I think there's split into four areas, the North, West, South, and East. The North and the West are the most beautiful places by far. And when you go there, you won't really think of it as your classical African country. Again, it's not savannas, it's not plains, it's mountains. You know, Rwanda is, they call it the land of a thousand hills. You know, the hotel, the famous hotel Rwanda is the Hotel Milkaline, which is French for thousand hills. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. And the Congo adjacent to it is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Is that because of the mountains or the rainforest? The mountains and the rainforest. I mean, it's so one of the reasons why it's again, the most densely populated in the world. I think that in Bangladesh mm-hmm. is because of the, the rainforest and it's, so when you go up, you want to go to the North and the West. The North is where the, the volcanoes are. So that's where the famous silverback gorillas are. That's where, um, Diane Fossey was with her. Uh, research center. So the number one thing people always want to go do is see the silverback gorillas. And I think it's like, I can't remember. I don't know how much it is now. It was 500 when I was there. I'd be 700 now. Gosh, that's crazy. So it's beautiful. Then you want to go West into Lake Kivu and then also see all the mountains. Uh, That part I think is the best part. And then one thing that's popular now is to go from a town called Gisene to Gabuye. It's about a two day track on a bicycle and you're just going through these mountains through just gorgeous scenery. I feel like trying to hit some of the more rural areas can Mm -hmm. be really difficult as a tourist. Like you need to rely more on local connections. 
You know, there's not an infrastructure like there is in a city. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Like, if I don't know anyone in Rwanda, how do I find out and navigate these areas? Well, I would say probably 90 to 95 percent of the tourists that come to Rwanda will go to Kigali. And then if they do go to Gaseni, which is probably the next most popular area, or Musanze, which is this one road that goes up to the northwest, they're probably with the tour guide most of the time because they're going to see the gorillas up past Musanze, or they're going to go to Gaseni and see the lake. But I think it's actually pretty easy, especially now English is becoming more widespoken. You can go to the main bus terminal and say, hey, I want to take a bus to this town. It seems daunting, and then you do it, and it doesn't seem daunting at all. Yeah, It's probably just the novelty of it. Right. I'm going to go buy this bus and these people, and I don't know what's going to happen. But Going out to the mountains mm-hmm. in Rwanda, where the gorillas are, middle of nowhere. Like, There's yeah. nothing like that here in the U.S. No. And I mean, little things like the first time I remember I went to a market to buy food. I was like, this is insane. I can't believe I'm doing this. And then, of course, you know, a year later, you're like, oh, I got to go, you know. Well, you have to haggle for everything. You got to haggle. But it's just so it's old hat, and you're just like, go get... Go do, you know, I had a house boy and I would just be like, go do this, go do that. And I would go up there and haggle with them sometimes. But, you know, when you do it, everything at first is just a huge um, effort. And you can't, you're wondering like, am I going to do this for this long? Yeah, you do it. Well, it's a big undertaking. Like you're doing something that's novel and different mm-hmm. and, you know, it's out of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. And you're always kind of wondering what people are thinking of you and if they're taking advantage of you. And if they're even sometimes like one thing with uh, Rwandans is you'll say like, is this the right way to go? And they'll go, Hmm. And you're like, is that yes? Is that no? Like you kind of wonder if they're accidentally misleading you sometimes. Does that happen? It happens. Yeah. And so, um, that's a good example of trying to navigate a cultural, you know, issue of how do I make sure that I'm getting the correct information? So most people speak English there. Well, most people speak French. Um, the number one language that everyone speaks by far is Kinyarwanda. Swahili is somewhat spoken well. Um, but, and everyone is taught French, especially in the older system. They actually switched over to the English system in about 2009, I want to say, as a level of instruction. That's very recent. It's recent. It's controversial because of the genocide. So because under the old system that was French and then under, you know, Paul Kagame, when he was exiled, he went to Uganda. And so he is a much more proficient in English. And so it's, it's almost kind of the scene of the new guard and, and the new political system kind of taking root and kind of exerting their power. But it's also an element of, well, we also want to kind of go into the 21st century. We see this is the best way to it's move It's a practicality. It's, it's a you practicality. Know, I, yeah. And I, in the Peace Corps, the, one of the, the biggest thing, right, is cultural adaptation and integrating with the community. The number one thing you can always do in any culture is understand the language. That's the biggest barrier to entry as a tourist anywhere you go. Well, most people are very proud. Yeah. You know, it, it shows that it shows your it shows a degree of respect. Yeah. And even somebody like I really grew up kind of respecting Rick Steves as a travel person. And he was somebody that really said, hey, if you go to France, you don't have to speak French, but learn 20, 30 words, learn a handful of phrases. And it immediately kind of ingratiates you with that culture. And I've always I've really bought into that. I think that's a really great idea. I mean, especially when you're there a limited time, obviously learning the whole language is impractical. But yeah. yeah. But there's so many resources now. There are. You yeah. know, you, you have a lot of options. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really great to kind of understand how to navigate the ins and outs of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the silverback gorillas. I just think that's like one of the few places in the world you can see that. Like, yes. did you see them? Did you go? Mm-hmm. How was that experience? That's that was up there. Yeah. It's uh, one of three places really where you can go. They sit kind of on the Uganda border and in the Congo border and then in Rwanda. But you, usually if you go to Uganda, you kind of usually start in the capital and it's a long trek to get down there. 
really from Awanda, I mean, you can go to Kigali. It's two hours to Masanze. It's probably another hour to really get to the starting point. So it's really close to the capital. Um, it's absolutely gorgeous up there. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. The lake's up there, and there's five volcanoes that sit up there. And so they're all kind of nestled in there. There's they're all there's a series of um, groups. I don't know how many exactly. Let's say 12 or 14. Half are used for research, and the other half are used for tourism. And so when you go to visit them, you only you get one hour with them. And so you have to trek up to go get to them. So you have to go through these villages, and then you have to go through a rainforest with guards. The guards are there with guns, not for any robbers or anything like that, but for Buffalo, because you do encounter Buffalo at times up there. And so, you know, they're, they're, they're testy and they can charge at you. So, um, but they're navigating you around. And then at one point they'll say, okay, we found them. And then you'll actually go around with somebody and they'll start chopping down the areas as you walk around because you're going through just pure growth forest. Yeah. And so they keep a healthy distance and it's incredible just to sit there and see them interact. And, you know, you see the big silverbacks, you see the babies, you see the moms, you see it all. It's very cool. I love that, that you have those two groups, the scientists and then the tour centers. Mm -hmm. Like, I imagine they must be working together. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, And the one thing is that you only get an hour with them because they're trying to keep the stress levels of the gorillas down. So, yeah. I mean, and these were animals that were being basically hunted for meats and slaughtered not that long ago. And now they've really understood this is their number one resource. This is their biggest access for uh, tourism and for people to come. Rwanda's definitely gotten a lot savvier in terms of the tourism. Like I was talking about the bike paths and trying to get people to Gabuye. And they do go to Akagera over in the East, which is kind of like a traditional national park you would think of in Africa. But the gorillas are their number one draw. And they, as long as they're there, they definitely will be. Africa does that. I think when you really go there and you really start to get out of bounds and you started to explore, you really... For example, I was in um, uh, Zambia and I was in a national park there and a group of elephants went through a campsite we were at. And so we actually had these tents with the big windows in them and you just sat there. And it's when you get to be part of those things and you get to be part of something that you really think is bigger than you, it, it really is magical. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, oftentimes in this podcast, we talk a bit about food. Okay. Uh, I know Rwanda is known for the gorillas they and are. the mountains and the, these areas. Is there like really famous Rwanda cuisine that you recommend or what are your thoughts there? Well, I would call it infamous. I would not call it famous. The food is terrible. I mean, the reality of a lot of Africa, right? Like, do you sit there and wonder why we never have African restaurants really around here? With the lone exception of Ethiopian food, most of it's peasant food. Most of it's kind of sustainable food, right? So... One thing is that the Peace Corps volunteers, especially the girls out of the gate, get fat. The beans and the rice. Beans and the rice, the, the the breads. I mean, and that stuff sustains well, right? And I mean, it it hold, you can hold it in your fridge or not your fridge. There's no fridges. It keeps. You, <laughs> it keeps. Exactly. And so, but the problem then too is that you're also, you know, you get really hungry. You eat a bunch of it. Two hours later, you're really hungry again. I mean, a carb-loaded diet's like that. The rice and the beans, they actually have these little type of fish because I lived on the lake, so I was able to get that. I actually raised chickens, so we would have chicken and we would have eggs. But um, Making your own beans, your mm -hmm. chicken. I see why it's two to three hours. It takes a long time. It does. You got to get the Every time you want to cook, it's like, get that fire going. Is so, there like an infrastructure for tourists? Because if I go, I obviously wouldn't have a kitchen that I could access. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. They've actually got hostels there. Um, they've got the hotels. They've, they do a good job. I think of 
when you land, directing you to where you want to go, right? They know the four or five main points of where people want to go. And, and they do a good job of shuttling you over there and getting your money from you and then bringing you back. And they also, the thing about Rwanda is that they're really trying to make an impression of Kigali's this modern capital. I worked on a project in the capital that was very much focused on that. And, but once you get outside of that, you, it's a completely different world. So, um, but I'll give you another example. Like one of my favorite places in the world is a place called Lake Bunyoni, which is just North of Rwanda. It's actually in Uganda and you can take a bus there and then you stop off in the first town after the Uganda border. And then you take these motorcycles over to the lake. And then from there you can take a boat onto these islands and it's, you have to pack light for this trip. Yeah. Well, one thing you do is you make sure you don't go to the bathroom. Like you can't go to the bathroom. Right. So, but it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It makes Bali look boring and I love it. And it just takes a little bit of effort to go there, but it's a place that the run in tourism really hasn't caught up with yet in terms of trying to shuttle people in there. I think for a lot of my list or a lot of our listeners here, there's an aspect of trying to capture something famous, but mm-hmm. then there's also an aspect of trying to find something more authentic and local. Mm-hmm. And you know, I imagine over there, there's probably not as many tourists as there is in Bali. Like it may not feel as commercialized. Right. And that's what makes it so great too. I mean, and it's clean and it's quiet. It really is all the things that you like about Bali, but that aren't really in Bali. It's actually there. I mean, it is serene. It really made me feel like I was at peace. I, I love Lake Bignoni. It's one of my, one of, like I said, it's one of my favorite places. Yeah. I can totally visualize that. Yeah. Like that sounds, it sounds incredible. And like, this this sounds like a combination of an adventure trip, going to see the silverback gorillas in mm-hmm. the jungle, to you know a more relaxing resort vacation, almost. Yeah, you know, with a little bit of a um, organic feel to it. Yeah, it's beautiful. My family came out to visit me, and they always said it was their their favorite trip. And it's because they did get out of their comfort zone, and they took them to crazy markets, and they got to see people walking around all the time. And I mean, but it was also people were very friendly, and they got to try the local cuisine as well. And, you know, try the local malt liquors and I made them try banana beer. And What's banana beer? It's the local beer. It's the beer of the peasants. It's, they make beer out of bananas? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh they, my God. I, I've never even heard of that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's No, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> so you try Something to, worth trying. It's Yeah, it definitely you have to try it. But, you know, stick with the horrible malt liquor instead. Stick with the Mootsigs and the Primus and all of those. Those are the staples of uh, going out to the local Rwandan bar. And then you have to have bruschettes, of course. Bruschettes is their food. If you want to talk food. Yeah, what's that? It's goat meat. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And then frites. So, you know, the fries and the mm. and the goat meat. So that would be the classic that you'd have. Yeah. That's pretty standard. Yeah, that's I know, that's hardly Rwandan-centric, yeah. Um, I, when I was in Nigeria, there were just so many delicious spices there. Is there mm-hmm. a ton of spices in Rwanda? Like, do they spice the goat meat? There's one spice. It's called akabanga, and it just really burns your mouth. I don't really call it a spice, so I hated it. <laughs> it's like a test. Yeah. Well, and they would be, you know, I would sit with the Rwandans, and like, I, my mouth waters when I see akabanga, and I'm like, my mouth just burns. I, I hate How this local stuff. are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I actually had, like, in my village, one funny thing was I had a beekeeper, and so he would make me come down, and we'd, he, you know, he'd serve me honey. You just sit here and he would just give a big plate of honey and he'd be like, start eating it. And I don't know if you've ever just ate honey straight, but you get a sugar headache so very fast. All of a sudden I'm like, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Like the sugar's so intense. I'd be like, can we get some bread or some beers or something to kind of, yeah, br- yeah, I always have honey with bread. <laughs> yeah. Even this out a little bit, just not taking spoons full of honey. Yeah. But yeah. Um, 
if there was anything you wanted our listeners to get from this podcast, what would that be? Yeah. Also, one thing, last thing oh, I will say about go for food. It. Yeah. I will say the fruit is unbelievably good. It's unbelievably fresh, like, and it's unbelievably cheap. Like, it's like the sugar best, water, right? Yeah. The best pineapple of your life is massive and it's 50 cents. You know, the best, biggest avocados ever, 10 cents. So that is a great part of it. That's amazing. Yeah. So, so, but if I could take anything away from Rwanda, I would take away that I, I know that there's going to be a stigma with the genocide and there's some great places that you can go to see the genocide and really see its effects. Some of the most disturbing places, Morambi, um, or you can go to in the national genocide museum, but the people have really moved on and they sincerely, they know what happened and it's an unusual circumstance because it wasn't nameless, faceless people killing nameless, faceless people from another country. These were neighbors killing each other. But they've really healed and moved on. And I think that the country has done a great job of that. And to really see these people and what they've done from it being the worst place to live in the world 20 plus years ago to now a place that really is progressive, that really is clean, that has an infrastructure that's moving forward, an economy that's moving forward, and people that are friendly and they're they're helpful. Uh, it, w- it was really kind of amazing to see. And you are safe there. And so if you want to see a place that's absolutely gorgeous, one of those beautiful places in the world, and meet people that really have moved on, I, I know that they struggle and that not everything's great for them, but they really have tried to move the country in a positive direction. I think you should see Rwanda. That's awesome. You know, yeah. time time heals all wounds. Yeah, I think it's it's a really difficult thing what they they tried to do. You know, they did things like, for example, in the country just to the south of it in Burundi, right? They still label people Hutus and Tutsis, and they said there's no more of that. Now people still know who who each other are, right? But they've yeah. really tried to say that we are one. The famous saying in Rwanda is "We are together." So, you know, whenever you have an issue or a problem, you say "We are together." So I think that those things have have helped and, and tried to, and because they have done it in mass together, you know, the reprisal killings have been a lot less than they should be. And I know that the pain is there during national genocide month in, in April. It's always a difficult time. Yeah. But considering that, you know, what these people did and what they gave up people that lost everything and then would take in five or six orphans and raise them as their own and stuff like that. It's, I mean, there's some really amazing stories of, of heroism and people that are really selfless. And one thing too is that as the economy grows and there, it, people become much more looking towards the future and the quality of life that they have, which is I think something that Kagami's done a good job of. And sounds like it. Yeah, he wants to make it. There's an, there's also kind of a threshold where as you get a certain level of economic growth, I really feel like some of these old issues really kind of go away and like a tipping point. Yeah, there is a tipping point to it, and I, Rwanda is really trying to hit that and. Um, well, when you're saying it's like Bali, <laughs> I'm definitely interested. <laughs> it is. I mean, it is so beautiful. I mean, going around and the hikes you can do and, and the mountains. I mean, it really does kind of set you back. And it, it's and like I said, it's not like the other African countries that most of them that you go to. I mean, it's it's mountains. It's yeah. Lakes. yeah. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. I'm so inspired right now. Yeah. Like, I really want to go. I want to learn and see see some see some uh, some things in the world that i could <laughs> couldn't see elsewhere yeah absolutely melissa it was my pleasure awesome thank you yeah. thanks Stephen, for joining and for all you listeners out there the podcast is uploaded every other wednesday please subscribe tune in and share feedback thank you so much